Right, so we are on week four here of our series, Tents and Temples. The entire, uh, the entire idea here is we're talking about the presence of God. Where has the presence of God been? What's the presence of God mean? And so the first thing that we learned in our series is this. When you think about the presence of God, think this. The presence of God is His nearness, His availability, and His attention. Think about that. The presence of God is His nearness, availability, and attention. Again, it's important for us to kind of clarify these things. It's so easy for words like presence to kind of get spooky. I mean, if I told you the presence of God was going to fill the room, would you get kind of freaked out? Okay, we got a bunch of weirdos then. Okay. I'd be a little weird out by the whole idea, okay? The things I've seen in Scripture are a little bit different about it. You know, this cloud and this whole idea, if anyone goes in the cloud without, without permission, they die. So if I said the cloud's coming, would you be a little bit freaked out now? Okay, thank the Lord. Okay. But beyond that, what we see in Scriptures, the Old Testament and New, is that the presence really signifies His nearness, His availability, His ability to be accessed. Okay? And then it also means His attention. We see that the Hebrew and the Greek words for the presence, the primary meaning is face. And of course, that means the reason it's face is because of the way that we as humans connect to people. There's something about having their attention. There's something about eye contact, about physical proximity, being near someone and giving that person your full attention. And so when the presence of God shows up in the Scriptures, it is symbolic of God coming face to face with a person or with people. Amen? You guys, you're being quiet this morning. So after, do what? What'd you say? Oh, yeah, it's a, yeah, they're fasting. Every, everyone's a bunch of grumps this morning, right? Because the fast, is that what it is? Just one week left, it won't be too bad. All right. So once we learn that, you know, in, in this entire series, the whole idea is that we're talking about His presence, what it means. And so the first thing we have to do with His presence is we have to make a choice. We have to choose whether or not we want to live near the presence of God. And so we use the story of David with the Ark of the Covenant, and we see the situation where at first he wants a presence, and he changes his mind, he goes back and forth. And it's a clear picture of what happens today with us. We still, to this day, have a choice. Do we want to have a relationship with God, to live near Him, or do we want to use God? Do we want to just do enough to where we get what we want? I heard a lot of amens here. Do I just want to do the minimum so that I get saved from hell, so that I get blessed, so that my family does well? Or do I really want relationship? Do I want proximity? Do I want to be near Him? And, and of course, the ultimate example of this is the picture that we see of relationship um, at the end of, of the Bible. And that's marriage. We see this example of the relationship God desires to have with us is, is one just like marriage. that's intimate, back and forth with us. And so what takes place here is you have to choose, I guess, what kind of marriage you would like to have. And anyone who has a good marriage knows that it involves high investment. You guys look miserable today. Tell you fast and you're hot. I mean, I, I don't think I've seen people fanning themselves as much since September. My Lord. Trust me, if you're hot, you don't want to be right here. These lights are blazing. So this morning, here's what we're going to talk about. We talked about how to live in the presence of God last week, but this week I want to talk about what happens in the presence of God. Are you with me? 
And so what happens whenever we're living in the presence of God, we've made the choice, we've chosen to pursue more of God, we have prepared for that, for that place, and thirdly, now that we're there, we've done these specific things to stay there. We're choosing to live a life with Him. We're choosing to do the hard work it takes to continue to have the intimacy. But the biggest thing that I want to hit on again is what happens when you're there? What happens when you actually live a life in the presence of God? And to kind of make this a little bit less spooky, when you think living in the presence of God, I want you to think about living in relationship with God. Does that make sense to you? So when I, whenever I say living in the presence, I don't want you to picture yourself in like a, you know, like a crazy temple with like a cloud and like with angels. I want you to picture having relationships. To live in the presence of God is to have relationship with Him. And to kind of make this example, I want to show you guys something. If you guys have your Bibles, let's go to um, the book of Acts, chapter 15. Acts 15, verse 14. The context here is the apostles are having this debate about the Gentile believers. They're having this issue because the gospel is spread from Jerusalem, and it continues to expand. And as it expands, it's, it's starting to reach new people groups. And so questions are being asked. And so what's happening here is they're seeing proof that God has included the non-Jews in the promise. And so they're getting really frustrated about this. They're having a debate. And so this, this issue has reached the council. And so the council is not having this, this intense debate. They've all kind of put out their claims. And now James, the one who kind of stands up as pastor in Jerusalem, he stands up to kind of give his own opinion. And so here, here's what he says. He says here in uh, verse 14, he says, Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. And now he's going to quote a passage from Amos chapter 9. Here's what it says. And so after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. Things known from long ago. Now, I understand that that probably didn't mean a whole lot at first, but I want to explain a few things. Understand here that there were two tents in the Old Testament. Did you guys know that? Two tabernacles. What does tabernacle mean? Tent. Thank you. Okay, it means tent. It's a fancy word for tent. And so, there were actually two tabernacles in the Old Testament. There's a tabernacle of Moses... Right, which is the one you guys heard about. And it's the one that has the outer court, the inner court, and of course the most holy place. But then there's this other tabernacle, and it's called the Tabernacle of David. Does anyone here know what the difference is between the two tabernacles, between the two tents? They're designed differently. Anybody? <laughs> He's like, I do, but you don't want me to preach. You guys, okay. Knock, knock. Is anyone there? Amen. Okay. That was lame, but I need some kind of noise. I mean, I'm not sure if you guys are breathing this morning. Oh my goodness. Okay. There are two tents. Here's the main difference, okay? The tent of Moses is the tent that God designed. He gave the instructions to Moses. He said, here, design it like so. And the way that it was designed, it had, left, it had multiple rooms. Each room, of course, had more of the presence of God being accessed in it. And so the whole idea was when you got to the most holy place where the presence of God was, only one person was allowed to go there once a year. Now, what's different between this is the tabernacle, the tent of David, David designed that tent, not God. And he changed it. 
His tent had one room. Think about this. In the tent of Moses, there's this room, which everyone can come into. Here's the next room, with which only a select few people can come into. Here's this room. Only one select person, once a year, can come in this room. And if he doesn't do everything perfect, he dies. Sound fun? Okay, good, you're alive. I love this. Now, the tent of David. One room. And he says, everyone goes. Think about that. And what's crazy about this is, in this prophecy, the prophecy that's used here is that God would rebuild the tent of who? David. And why would he do why would he do that? He said he would restore it that all of mankind could seek his face. Do you see that? And see, what's crazy about this is that David is the first, I wouldn't say he's the first, but he's one of the biggest examples in Scripture of what it looks like to live in the Prince of God. Not to visit the Prince of God or to learn about the Prince of God or to see it from afar, but to live there, to sleep there, to eat there, to spend all of your time to be there. Because see, the one thing about David was this. He was in the Prince of God before he ever first saw the tabernacle of Moses. He learned to be in the Prince of God when he was in the field alone with his sheep. And that's the difference between David and everyone else who was alive at that time. David knew the heart of God before God even told him the heart. Does that make sense to you? See, God had to tell Moses how to build something. But see, David learned just by being around him what his real heart was. God never commissioned David to build a tent. But just by being around him, he knew his heart. And because he knew his heart, he knew what God really wanted. And what God really wanted was someone who would come into his presence, would understand that he desired relationship without having to be told. Is that sinking in for you this morning? And so, what we see here, when we're talking about living in the presence of God, we'd understand this fundamental thing. God desires us to be in constant relationship with Him. And what, and what Pastor James, if you would, the first pastor we see in the Scriptures, the, what he's doing here. His argument, the way that he's able to reason is he's saying, you know what, in the Scriptures, I think I see it. God always wanted it to be this way. That there would be nothing separating us from Him. And so with this understanding, we are now ready to move in to understand what takes place when we're in the presence of God. If you guys have your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. I'm going to read this in two different translations. The NIV. We'll tackle that one first. So whatever was, were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. 
I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection, participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, we're going to switch it up on you a little bit. We're going to read it in the Message Bible now. If you guys have your Bibles again, we're going to switch it up on the screen. And the Message Bible says this. So, the very credentials these people are waving around as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life, compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my Master firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. If you want to pause it for a second. In the Greek here, the word for dog dung would not be appropriate if I were to tell you in the English. Did you figure out what the word is he uses? Okay, let's go ahead and continue. <laughs> Just a little, anyways. All right, you guys are awake. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some pretty inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his sufferings, and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it. I'm not saying that I have all this together, that I have made it, but I'm well on my way reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. Amen. Now, we're going to break this thing down into a few key points here. So the question is, what happens in the presence of God? But let's phrase this a little bit differently. What happens in relationship, period? When you spend a lot of time around someone, what happens? Anybody, throw something out. Oh, that's a scary one. Have you guys ever had a friend who had a really terrible laugh? But like when you're around them too much, like, you know, there's a moment where you got, you're laughing so hard, all of a sudden it just slips out like a snort laugh. Yeah. How about bad jokes? You've been around someone who just had the worst jokes ever, like knock-knock jokes, yeah? And you're around them so much, so all of a sudden you found yourself, it just slips out of you. There's something about relationship that is designed to where we just begin to automatically rub off on each other. You know, and that's why the scriptures are so, are so hard on who we spend our time around. Because we must understand the people that we're around, we rub off on. But this starts in our relationship with God. There's something about the way he's designed us where just by spending time around him, there's just a friction that takes place. There's just a rubbing off that takes place. You know, in the Old Testament, we see Moses. We see this man who, who, who comes out of the tent of meeting and he's glowing. It's not because he prayed to glow. It's not because God told him he would glow. It's just because he just happened to be around the one who did glow. It just rubbed off on him. 
Something about David where, you know, he's this nobody who, who no one cares about. He, he's a small little runt child and he's out there playing with the, the sheep and his own family's embarrassed of him. But there's something about being alone with the presence of God where it just rubs off. And this, this nobody, just because he spends time around God, becomes somebody. And he becomes not just somebody, but someone who's known throughout all of human history just by being around them. In business, you're taught if you want to be successful, you hang out with successful people. Whatever you lack in your life, you get around people who have that quality because there's something about being around them, it just rubs off on you. And this is fundamentally what takes place when we get into the presence of God. He just begins to rub off on us. You don't become God, but you become like Him. And the, most, the, the purest example of what it means to become like God is Jesus. We literally begin to, to take on the attributes and the heart and the love and the tenderness and the care and the passion, the priorities that Jesus had. They begin to rub off on you. Now, this all sounds great, but here's the problem. Few of us in this room have not experienced God even a little bit. We've all had some time in our lives, most of us have had some time in our lives where there was a moment where it just felt like we were just, God seemed closer, He seemed more real. There's, there's times where our heart or our emotions or our mind were touched. We've all had some kind of a God encounter in some way, shape, or form, most of us. And in that moment, God was so real and everything was so powerful, but for some reason we aren't there anymore. And what takes place is, as I begin to go through these different steps that happen when we're around God, I want you to understand this. Most of us, as we begin to be around God, when we realize He's changing us, most of us have a choice to make. Do I want this change or do I not? Have you guys ever heard someone talk about being around someone and it makes them the best version of themselves? Yeah? Have you guys ever had friends where you were around them and you were the worst version of yourself around that person? Have, okay. What about high school reunions? When you walk into a high school reunion, do you feel it's almost like you walk in the room and because of just the way that you interact with these people, it makes you feel like you're that person 15, 20, 30, however many years it is for you, it makes you feel like you're that person instantly. Do you feel that? Lord. Okay, you don't have to talk. You know, your head's move. Good? No, Devin. Yes, Devin. Okay, there we go. There's something about being around people that brings things out of us. It pulls things out of us. And what happens with God, most of us in this room have had times with God where it was like He was so near to us, but there was something about being around Him that we chose that we didn't want. Being in the presence of God, having a relationship... It takes us back to that first choice. We constantly, every day, must make that choice. Do I want to live near God? Do I really want to have relationship with this person? Is it worth it? In your friendships, in your marriage, you will have these ebbs and flows. You'll have times where you just love getting to know the person. you have times where it's just too much for you. I'm going to pull back. And the same thing takes place with God. Again, we have full access to the presence of God. The tent of David, if you would, has been restored in Christ. Meaning, God's presence, 
His, his nearness, His availability, His attention are fully available every second that you breathe. If you are not accessing that, if you are not in His presence, it is for one reason. Would you like to guess what that reason is? You choose not to. Trust me, I've got all these great things to talk about, but if you don't understand this, it's all worthless. You are not there because you choose not to be. If you have a bad marriage, it's because you choose not to invest in the marriage. You're done trying. If you have junky friendships, it's probably because you're not a great friend. <laughs> Whoa, okay, too much. Okay, let's, let's, let's just back that up. You guys are like, yeah, you don't know my friends. They're jerks. <laughs> okay. Man, here we go, some, some interest. Here we go. So what happens is we have to make this choice. And so, so as we go through each thing that takes place in the Prince of God, I want you to think about this. Have I ever experienced this? That's the first question. Secondly, when I experienced this, did I decide I didn't want that? Okay? All right, here's the first one. We're going to pull all this out. Uh, this comes from the passage that we read. Here's the first thing that takes place when you are in the presence of God. The first thing is this. The presence of God affects our priorities. Did you hear that? Here's how it works. When you get around God, when you really give Him your full attention, when, you, when your face, if you would, when your presence, when you choose to be near to God, when you begin to experience Him, there's something inside of you that just jumps and you realize there's nothing in the world that's better than this. Now, if you, if, if you have had any kind of experience with God in your life at all, when you were a kid or, you know, whatever age, in that moment you knew that. That was real to you. And in that moment you would do anything to stay there. And in that moment when we begin to experience God, when we begin to sit down and connect with Him, it hits us and we begin to say, He is worth so much. This relationship is so valuable that nothing else is more important than it is. And instantly, we begin to be challenged. If I want to keep this relationship, I must make changes in my life. The first challenge of the presence of God is this. To stay in the presence of God, we must make a choice to change our priorities. In His presence, and again, when you see the in His presence, just think in relationship with God, we begin to see how valuable He is and how valuable His relationship is with Him. Truly, it begins to lead us to reprioritizing our lives around this reality. And I, cho I chose that word reality because when you're there with Him, it's so real to you. It, it's so much more real than your job, than your problems, than, than, than anything else. But the problem is this, the moment you step away from the presence, it seems so far away from you. The problem is when we don't live in the presence all of the time, then everything else seems more real to us than the presence of God. I had some pastors ask me some questions. You know, just, they kind of want to know what, what Grace Church is about, what are you guys passionate about. And, you know, it's hard to answer these questions without being, sound like a jerk. I was like, honestly, I just hate church. And he was like, what? I was like, I just can't stand the idea of coming on a Sunday and just doing the thing and going back to the week. I almost want to not have Sunday services. You should have saw their face. Whoa. Uh, you guys should see your faces. <laughs> Anyways, okay, I shouldn't mention that. I told him, I said, I just can't 
fathom a relationship with God that doesn't take place every moment. I can't fathom sincerely choosing Him and then somehow Monday through Saturday not choosing Him. Choosing my job over Him, choosing my hobby over Him, choosing my whatever over Him. I I can't even imagine that. Now, is that what we do? Yes, that's what we do. But it comes down to that choice thing. It's okay if you choose that. I just want you to know what you're choosing. Does that make sense? It's okay for you to, to, to be honest and say, I just, I'm not ready for this with God. That is fine, but you need to know what's going on. The, the worst thing about church, which we even do sometimes too, is that we create this comfortable place where we believe that everything's good with us and God, when it's not. God desired one thing. He rebuilt the, the tabernacle of David for one reason relationship. It's a little bit deep for you, okay, but I'll make it simple. If he would have rebuilt the tabernacle of Moses, all you would have had to do is not do bad things and to give him what he wants. Does that make sense? You could come to Sundays and tithe and just try to be a good person and you would have been good with God. But he didn't want that. He rebuilt the tabernacle of David because he wanted what? Face to face. If you're not living in relationship with God, you are not having what God desires for you to do. And honestly, it's disobedience. The entire covenant we take when we get saved, we take Him on as everything. We confess Jesus as what? Lord and Savior. This is a relationship every single moment. Because you know what? I need Him to direct me, my Lord. I need Him to direct me every moment. And I need my Savior to pull me out of junk every single moment too. It's not just pulling me out of hell. And so the first challenge that takes place with us when we begin to get into the presence of God is that it challenges our priorities. To stay in the presence means that we must choose to make Him, relationship with Him, priority. Now when I say make presence priority, I'm not talking about, you know, you're not making goosebumps or having some, you know, holy moments priority. I'm saying you're making relationship priority. With him, priority. One of the biggest examples of the presence of God is fire. In the Old Testament, the example of, with the Ark of the Covenant, you had this fire that burned eternally. The idea was that this fire would not go out as long as the presence of God was present in the room. And that picture of fire is very interesting because it shows us what happens when we come into the presence of God. To stay in the presence, certain things have to be burned away. It's called purification. But what's funky about our relationship with Jesus now through the new covenant is there's nothing that's going to hurt us or harm us. He's not going to kill us when we're in there, but we still have this choice to make. If I want to stay here, I've got to let the will of God change me. And it starts with my priority. Here's the second thing that happens. The presence, first of all, affects our priorities. Here's the second thing. The presence of God instills purpose inside of us. In His presence, He begins to rub off on us. His kingdom and plan for our lives are sown deep into our hearts where we realize that no other path for our life will do. And this is a challenge for us in the same way that it challenges the priorities we have. Because the more that we begin to spend time with God, we begin to find out who He is. And as we find out who He is, we begin to find out who He's called us to be. And it sounds beautiful, right? It sounds so sweet and so awesome. Um, I'm not old by any stretch. 
Thank the Lord. Except for whenever, you know, I hang out with youth and I find out I'm old. But, you know, as I get old around youth kids, they always tell me, you know, elbow, all this stuff. But the one thing I realize is that the older you get, you do not like change. Amen, right? Don't like that change. Don't sit in my seat on Sundays, right? And it sounds like this really sweet thing about, you know, finding you know, who we are in Christ. And the Apostle Paul hits this over and over again. You know, this idea of being rooted in Jesus and we find out who we are in Him. But what I've come to realize is it's not that sweet of a thing at all because when you already think you know who you are, it's not easy to give that up for who someone else tells you you are. Did you hear that? When you already have a picture of who you are, it's difficult to hand that over for someone else's picture of who you are. Fine, we'll use marriage again. When you get married, you, you find out a lot of things about yourself that you didn't know. Amen? Okay, well, I, I didn't know that was a bad thing. <laughs> right? Okay, yeah. And so you have this image of who you are, and then when you bring someone into your life, they begin to challenge that image of who you are. They want to show you who they see you as. Their perspective. And the most challenging relationship is with God because often His picture of who we are is exactly the opposite of who we say we are. And it challenges us. It, it shakes us. It bothers us. And the Old Testament is full of these examples. You know, and David is one. You know, he knew himself to be a shepherd boy. His family, everyone of him knew him to be a nobody, a nothing his entire surroundings told him who he was, but one voice told him he was someone different. And here we are, here we are even with the Apostle Paul. His entire life told him who he was going to be. He was going to be one thing, but yet God told him he was another. And this is, the, this is often a place where we decide we're not willing to stay in the presence of God. This could be a shock to you. I did not believe I was called to be a pastor. <laughs> okay, okay. And when he, whenever he told me, you're going to be a pastor, I said, you're kidding, right? That's, that's cute. God has a good sense of humor sometimes, right? You know, and anyways, I'll, when he began to tell me that the things I thought were my strengths were actually my weaknesses, that was a challenging thing. When he began to tell me that the things I, I, I was terrified of were things that I was supposed to expect in my life. When he told me that the things that I was the most ashamed of were the things that actually were the things that made me strong. It's challenging. Many of you in this room have chosen to distance yourself from the presence of God because you couldn't handle the life he gave you a picture of. The image of who he's called you to be, it just didn't line up. It wasn't right. It didn't feel good. It was too far away, too scary, too challenging. There's no way this is possible. You have to be wrong. And so you pull away. And so when you enter the presence of God, the first thing is he challenges your priorities. And most of us stop at that first gate. Most of us say, I'm not willing to let you rearrange my life. And what that really says to God is your presence is not worth changing my life. 
Tons of amens this morning. And if you make it past that door, the next one is, I'm not really sure if I'm willing to let you. I'm not sure if I'm ready to start rediscovering myself all over again. I'm not sure if I like the picture of who you've told me that I am. The next thing that happens is, after the presence of God begins to instill purpose inside of our lives, the next thing is that the presence of God alters what is possible. Meaning, the more we spend time in the presence of God, the more the things that seem impossible look possible. Now, this is a scary place to be. Because whenever you begin to embrace God's priorities, you begin to let God come in your life and say, you want things this way, I'm going to rearrange them this way. And then you begin to let God say, no, that's not who you are. Here's this mirror. Here's who you are. And that's kind of challenging too. And then when you go to this next stage, and he begins to give you pictures and glimpses of the things he's going to call you to do, and you begin to say, no, I can't do that. It's impossible. The more you stay in his presence, the more he begins to stretch your understanding of what is possible. There's no one in this room who's ever spent time in the presence of God and in that moment with God believed that things couldn't happen. When you're with him, everything seems possible. When you step out of it, okay, hold your horses. Let's use wisdom in the situation. What happens is it's, it's impossible for us to fully live in that place of embracing this new identity, this new life, with embracing these challenges and these struggles. We can't do that while living out of the presence of God. So many of you have tried to pursue the plans of God for your life outside of the presence, meaning you're trying to go after it in your own strength and you're not doing it from a place of relationship with God, knowing Him, spending time with Him. You're, you're doing it in your own strength. And what happens is when you begin to run that race, you come to a place where things are just too big. It's too impossible. You cannot make it. That's because we are only designed to do the impossible through the presence of God. And again, when I say presence, think the relationship with God. Here's what this says in the, in the, in the notes. It says, uh, in His presence, nothing seems impossible. Our grasp on what is possible is stretched to the limit preparing us to pursue His purpose for our lives. And understand this, this phase, this stage of being in the presence of God challenges you because what happens is you begin to get crazy ideas. I'm serious, hear me. You begin to get crazy, stupid ideas. Like two years ago, being involved in a church that had 40 members in it and somehow believing that you were supposed to move into this building. Crazy, stupid ideas. And on paper they say, that's a good idea. This guy's crazy. And what happens is when you begin to get filled with these ideas, you go and you begin to spend time with God and then you leave that presence. You begin to be around people or situations and that begin to challenge that stuff. You know, if... Have you ever been on like cloud nine with this great thing God gave you and then you take it to someone and say, hey, guess what? And then they just shoot you down. Anybody? Okay. One of the first things I say to people, I had a young man who came to me a few months ago, and he's in seminary, he wants to go into ministry. He's asked me for some advice. I said, first thing, make sure you only marry someone who's in this with you. There's no such thing as you being in ministry and someone that you're married to not being in ministry. 
You have to have someone when you come down from, you know, from cloud nine from the mountain with God who's able to be in the presence with you to see the possible and the impossible. Because if you're dragging someone along with you, you won't make it very far. It's not fair to them or to you. And many of us have got stymied at this place because God's planted something impossible in your heart. But yet the situation around you and the people around you have just made it seem impossible and they've stymied it and just begun to stuff it. Hey, sweetie. Having a rough day. He's probably fasting too, guys. Poor guy. You know what? I'm fasting too. I'm not sure that'd be good. I think we'd both be crying. So, you know, and so in this place, again, when the impossible begins to be planted into your heart, many of us stop with God because either the people around us or something or in the situation around us has caused us to start doubting the things God's put on our heart. It makes us begin the impossible look of the situation has begun to quench our passion and our faith for it. So many of you have allowed God to rearrange your life. You've, you've allowed God to give you a new picture for your life. But as you've begun to pursue it, the impossible has begun to choke you out. And you stop there. I've got all these jokes I'll make, but I won't. I'm... Poor guy. So here's the nice thing that happens here, okay? The nice thing that happens in the presence of God is that the presence of God begins to initiate preparation. So again, think about this, all right? In your life, have you experienced a place where you, you started to get close to God, but yet your, your priorities were challenged? And if you made it past that, your identity, your purpose in life was challenged. If you made it past that, then what took place there is that you begin to have your idea of what's possible challenged. And if you were able to trust God and walk through that, the next thing the presence of God does is preparation. Now, there are few people who make it through this stage. I'm just being honest with you, okay? Preparation is the hardest part of the presence of God. is because when you begin to let Him transform you and you begin to make steps on this path, the preparation on the path is what begins to just to drive us mad. In His presence, our trust in Him is built and we are ready to embrace the pruning and preparation necessary before we fully step into our purpose. The worst thing about preparation is that most of us have a picture of what our preparation should look like. Okay, all right, you, you know, God's going to send me to this, and this is going to happen, this, and this person's going to pray for me, and it's all just going to, you know, land perfectly, and I'm going to end up right where God wants me. It's going to be glorious. And then you wake up, and you're cleaning toilets. This is not the preparation that God wanted me to do. <laughs> There's nothing spiritual about this, okay? You guys have seen Karate Kid? Yes, you know, wax on, paint the fence. Okay, good. I don't have to go too indefinite, right? But you get it. Preparation is a long sequence of things that seem completely unspiritual. It's a sequence of God putting you places that you would not put yourself. It's God giving you relationships that you wouldn't choose on your worst day. Did you get that one? That was funny. Okay. If you're going under preparation, God will give you relationships that you did not ask for. Put you in a place you did not choose. Okay? And keep you there longer than you want to be there. That is what preparation 
looks like. Okay? It's not nearly as spiritual as you think it is. But the hardest thing about preparation is trusting God through it. It's allowing that, the, that stuff that you got from that relationship, that, that, that purpose and that passion and that clarity and that, and that just that thrive to, to, to see the impossible happen that keeps you planted. Most of the people, how you put this? Most people whose, whose stories have really kind of impacted me, you know, as far as just seeing where they started and where they ended up, I mean, it was always just the worst possible idea, like where they started. Pastor Larry was able to write books for T.D. Jakes before he was anybody. Back when he, he pastored a small church in West Virginia, and uh, if you know much about that state, that state it's not very uh, diverse. So a black pastor in the mountains of West Virginia is a bad idea, okay? And he's there in this small church, and he had days where he had to choose to, to pay his own light bill or light bill for the church, keep the lights on. Now, that's when Pastor Larry met him and was able to write his books and to meet him. But to see this man be prepared in the worst possible place. Most of you guys don't know about the story of, of Hillsong. Hillsong started with 40-some-odd people, and they almost closed the doors. Almost closed the doors because they sent this, this young couple who had all this promise. They had all these great places that they could have sent them, but they sent them on the outskirts to, to this place that was so desolate that they hardly had any neighbors where they were planted, and they almost had to close the doors of their church. And, of course, Hillsong became what it is now. The place of preparation looks nothing like the promise. It looks nothing like it. But here's the thing, when you're chasing the presence of God, the relationship with God, and you're not chasing what He can do for you, you don't care where He puts you. And what you'll find is, when you're willing to stay in that place you don't want to be, with those people you don't want to be there with, for, a, for as long a time that you don't want to stay there, when you're willing to make it because you're with God in it, then you're ready to be given the things He's called you to do. So here's the, here's the last thing that takes place. When you are living in relationship, in the presence of God, and you've been able to allow God to change your priorities, been able to allow God to put the purpose in your heart, to begin to stretch what's possible, and begin to, to prepare you, now He's going to move you into position. At the right moment, He's going to move you into this perfect place where you are ready now to step into what God's called you to do. And I want you to understand this. It's, it's not just about being called to be a pastor or to plant a church. I mean, it, you know, He could call you anywhere to do anything. But the entire thing is this. Whatever God calls you to do will be primarily for His glory, for the kingdom of God, and it will be beyond your ability to do it. Does that make sense to you? If you have a dream and you can do it on your own, that's a junky dream. Everyone says... I like my dream. If your dream is possible for you to get there with hard work and determination, it's not God. Dreams of God, plans and purposes of God require you to trust God. And the reason you have to trust God is because you cannot get there on your own. And this all sounds, it's all great and sweet as a sermon, but when this begins to penetrate your life, it's troubling and challenging. And you say, I don't know if I want that. 
And so I'm not just teaching you about, oh, you know, here's the great things that happen in the presence of God. What I'm really teaching this morning is why most of you are not in the presence of God. Because at some point in this process, you have chosen, I don't want this. I don't want you to mess with my, with my priorities. I don't want you to mess with my plans for my life. I don't want you to, to begin to mess with my, with my idea of, you know, what you want from me. And you know what? I'm really not ready right now for you to make my life uncomfortable because it's already bad enough. <laughs> Man, the amens are overflowing, man. You guys are just passionate about this one, you know. Claim that one, right? That's you. Come on, that's funny. Here's the thing, guys. It's my heart here, you know, at, at Grace is, you know, I, I really, going through the motions is just a waste of time for all of us. God is fully available to you in your situation, in your circumstance, in this moment. But a choice must be made. The problem with the presence of God, the problem with relationship with God, is that you cannot fit Him in. You have to choose Him, and then He chooses what else comes in. This is the fundamental reason that we do not live in relationship with God. Because He insists on having things His way. And then we insist on having things our way. And if all this was about was just, you know, having a good life. If, 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 if these sermons I teach you guys are just about how to improve your life, well then, you know, I wouldn't choose to live in the presence of God either. But it's not about that. This is not about how to make your life better, how to bless your finances, how to have a better marriage. That will all happen if it's God's will with the finances. Anyways, we'll talk about money later. How about that? Okay. It's bigger than that. It's about the reason that you were created, the reason this world exists. It's about the life that comes after this life. It's about the reality that there is a God. He's real. He's real. What are you going to do about it? Would you guys uh, just play music for me this morning? Come on up, Colby. Colby's always like, I can't tell if he's done. He just rambles. You have an awesome beard, so no one cares what you do, Colby. It's all right. You're good. You know, this, uh, this series, um, it's not something I really wanted to talk about. It's, it's kind of uncomfortable because what happens when we start talking about the presence of God is this. We have to make a choice. And so this morning, the, you know, the challenge I have for you is, what is your choice? What do you choose this morning? I've already told you what's going to happen. If you choose God, the first thing that will happen, it will feel great. Yes, Awesome. And then your priorities will be challenged. Then your plans for your life will be challenged. Well, you plan to do this and to move here and have this job and to do this and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, to retire at this age. And he's going to say, oh, that's great. That's really sweet. Here's what I have for you. Choose. What I can say to you to encourage you is, is this. I can say that uh, 
it would be much easier to choose your plan. Everyone's like, that doesn't sound good. You're not supposed to say that. Your life will probably be a lot easier if you choose your plan. If you choose to keep distance from the Lord and to just do whatever, you know, the bare minimum to squeak into heaven, you know, however I can get what I want without having to give up too much. It will be a much easier life for you. But you will be missing out in this life and in the life to come. The one thing about God is this. He's very fair. And he's loving and he's just. And there's mercy and grace. But the one thing I love about him is he loves to reward people who obey him. Here's the bottom line. I don't know how he's going to give us rewards, but he's made it very clear. Those who obey him in this life will be rewarded in that life. So I'd rather have a bigger house than you for eternity. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just, it's a joke. Okay. I'm not sure if we have big house or not. Who knows? Okay. But you get what I'm saying. There, there are rewards, and there are rewards in this life. We don't do it for the rewards. But the biggest thing that takes place is when you live in the presence of God, you are literally having the relationship that you were created for. As great as your marriage could ever be, as great as your relationship with your kids could ever be, it will never fill that spot in your life that you were created to know your Creator. There will always be something missing. Now this morning I have something different I want to do. 